Praise God. How y'all doing this evening? That was a, a, a good time of worship. I really appreciate the bishop and the, the worship team for helping us out with that. I hope you guys do as well. Um, on Friday nights, we've been talking about the book of James. That's where we've been speaking from for the last, I don't know how many weeks. Um, so right now, we're on chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And uh, we'll continue from there. And I'm going to try to squeeze it in to this service time. I don't have a clock in here, so I'm going to keep my phone out. If you guys have your phones, please turn them off. I'll put them on silence or something. Um, the, uh, we're going we're gonna to get, we're still working on some tweaks with this for the verses. So uh, that'll be coming next week. So you guys are going to bear with me. I hope you guys got your Bibles. If you do, you can go ahead and open them up. We're on... James chapter 4, 13 through 17. I'll go ahead and read from there. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Verse 17, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So James is speaking here, and he's speaking to the Christian entrepreneurs of that day. They were planning their lives. They were planning their years, and they were planning to go to this city and that city and sell and trade and make a profit. And they were, they were doing this without consulting God. They were doing it as if, though, they had control over time and events. So... They were doing it arrogant in knowledge, attitude, and behavior. The knowledge, they assumed that they had control over time and events. That was arrogant in their knowledge. For them to think, oh, I, I, I can go ahead and plan this out. It's all going to work. We're going to make a lot of money there and not consult God in prayer, not ask God, hey, is this your will? Is this what you want us to do? Do you want us to go here? Do you want us to go there? Not consulting with God at all. It's arrogant in knowledge. And in arrogant in attitudes, they were boastful about it. They were boastful about their self-sufficiency. They were boastful saying, I can handle this. I got this all under control. Yeah, it's going to work. Of course it'll work. Look at the plans. We got it laid out before us. I didn't need to pray to God. I didn't need to ask God for anything. I got it all laid out before me. So that was arrogant in their attitude. They were boasting. Not only were they arrogant in their knowledge of thinking they understood and they knew what was going to happen in time and events, they were arrogant about it, and then they boasted in that arrogance. And this is what James is consulting about in the, in the, in the text that we read. From there, they go on to boasting and behavior by failing to do what they know is God's will. Evidently, James knew something that we didn't. He was talking to them throughout the whole book through, to the Christians, and um, he must have known something that we didn't because they were failing to do God's will. They were failing to do what they knew was right. So they were arrogant in their behavior. This evidence, this, this arrogance is evident in their lack of including God in their long-term business plans, which is what we read now, James was humble. He knew that our lives were as a vapor that appears for a little while, as it said in the text, and then it vanishes away. That's a humble heart. It's humble for you to recognize that, you know what? I'm just little old me. I got a heartbeat. I got DNA. I was born this day. I'm this, year, I'm this many years old. But that's just you. And there's how many people in the world... And then, if you guys have seen Louis Giglio's How Great Is Our God and the Indescribable, and there's also another guy, um, 
Pastor Something Chan, um, Crazy Love. And it might, be, it might be a series that I do. My mother-in-law is reading the book. And he used something similar from the Hubble telescope. And he's showing, on his website, he's showing all of these different pictures of our galaxy and the universe. And it's just crazy how small we are. I mean, like a grain of sand is what we are. We are just, James understood this. He knew that we're, our life is like a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. The psalmist also knew it in Psalms 144.4. He said, man is like a breath. His days are a passing shadow. How quick does a shadow pass? You just turn the wrong way and the shadow's gone. If you walk too fast, the shadow's gone. If you hit the sun a little bit differently, the shadow's gone. And that's what he said our life is like. It's a breath. It's like that. The psalmist knew that. The psalmist also knew in Psalms 103, 15 through 16. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place remembers it no more. You guys ever see the beautiful bloom of a, of a tree or a flower or, or, or plants in, in certain times of the season? It blooms, and then you drive back by that location another day, and the blooms are gone. The, the, all the, all the uh, splendor of the beauty that you've seen in the flower is just gone. We had flowers, um, I don't know the name of the flower, so I'd probably go buy some. I'd like to get into that one day, but um, we had flowers at our old house, and they would bloom purple every day. Every day. They would bloom in the middle of the day. By the time I got home from work, it was, they were all dead. Every single day I did that, and they were purple. Beautiful. But that's how our life is. The psalmist understood that that's, just, that's as quick as our life is. If you guys have ever known someone that passed away, then you could testify to it. It's like, man, I was just talking to them. Man, I, I just gone for you to never be able to fellowship with them in this physical body here on earth so James was humble in understanding that and he told them he said you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow your life is like a vapor that appears for a little time and it vanishes away what are you guys doing because he's talking to Christians he's talking to people that love Jesus he's talking to people that are supposed to understand this People who are supposed to be living for God continually with every fiber of their being. They're supposed to be dedicated to God. Why? Because nothing else matters. God created this world. It doesn't matter what our plans are. It doesn't matter what we feel is fit for our own lives. It only matters what the will of God is. And if we're not operating in that will of God, then it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. If you call yourself a Christian, well, maybe you're not a Christian. You can maybe say that. And then you can do whatever you want to do. But if you belong to God, if you've been separated for his glory, if you've been separated for him, then you have to reevaluate this. And you might need somebody like James to kind of shake you a little bit and say, what are you doing? Don't you understand this? And that's what James is communicating to him. All of mankind is totally dependent upon God's grace to sustain us for another minute, another hour, another day, let alone another year. That's what they were doing. They were planning their years. It is by God's mercies alone that we receive another day. I want to get into a discussion here. That's the text. That's pretty much what the text was all about. Verses 13 through 17. The discussion I want to talk about is, what does every day in the future have in common? Every day. You can say, oh, they have 24 hours in it. I'm sure you guys can think of a lot of different things because you guys are clever. But what I was coming around to is every day in the future has in common that we don't know what it's going to hold. We might have appointments. We might say, okay, well, this is the day I'm getting married. The date's set. The invitations are out. But you have no clue what's going to happen that day. You don't know. You don't even know if you'll make it to that day. That's the reality of the situation. God's honest truth. 
Lene, she got diagnosed with the swine flu recently. So did Carmia. They're over it. Praise God. But that was a deadly flu. Praise God for his mercy and his goodness and kindness that he sustained them. And they're here today. And they're over it. They're free. They're good. No sickness. That's what I'm talking about. But they had something that they didn't have from one day to the next that was potentially deadly. And they're good to go now. But there's other people that have gotten that same flu that one day they didn't have, but the next day they did, and the next day they were gone. Period. So we don't know whether August 6, 2010 and August 6, 2011, we don't know what's going to be in store for those days. That's the common ground that they have. God knows exactly what's going to happen those days. That's the difference between us and God. That's the difference between a holy God, an omniscient God. He, he knows everything. He's full of knowledge. There's nothing you can tell God that he's not going to know. We make plans. God makes divine appointments. Oh, we're going to plan to do this. Well, God's going to tell you how it's going to work. He's going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. That's why you have to seek God as a Christian, as somebody that loves Jesus, as somebody that's dedicated to God. You have to. I have to. We have to seek God in prayer. Prayer is vital to sustain us. We have to seek him in prayer to, to address our plans, to address the things that we feel in our heart, and he'll realign us. And if we don't receive anything for that realignment, if we don't receive confirmation or we don't receive rebuke, then it's time for us to take a step back and say, I'm going to be, peace. I'm going to be patient here. I'm going to wait in peace. And continue to consult with your father. He loves you. The Bible says that you being human, you give your child good gifts. You don't think that the father's going to give, you know, how much more good gifts will the father give to his children? You are a child of God and Jesus Christ. If you ask him, you seek him. And when my child asks me for something, we talked about this before in another service. When my child asks me for something, if it's good for him, I'm not going to deny him of it. If it's food and he hasn't eaten, I'm not going to say no because I love him. If we continually pursue God, we continually seek after him, he will answer our prayers. So we have to include God. All of our plans are irrelevant apart from prayerful, intentional, God-centered plans that are structured around the gospel and the gospel message. I'm going to give you guys... A breakdown of the gospel message before we leave today. I want you guys to learn this, to know this, because this right here would solve so many problems for you. Because I know you guys sometimes are in school, you might be a little bit timid, you might share the gospel sometimes, maybe not all of you, some of you, or maybe all of you, and people just say things and you're like, I wish I had something to say to you. I know you're wrong, but you kind of got me for now. And shame on us for not being diligent if it applies, I know I've been there, to not really go get that answer and come back to them, to kind of let it all fall by the wayside. But this right here, if you learn it and know it, this is going to help you for those people. Not those people who are from a cultic religion, like Jehovah Witnesses and stuff like that. That's, this ain't, this ain't going to help you with them because you, you, need to, you need to combat with them. But for the people that don't know Christ, the people who don't have a relationship with God and know nothing about the gospel, this right here is going to open up doors for you and them and for them and God. For your relationship with them and their relationship with God. So I'm going to go ahead and make sure y'all get this. And I'm going to go over it here as well. Our plans are irrelevant apart from prayerful. Prayerful. Our plans are irrelevant if they're not prayerfully submitted to God. I got plans. Well, I need to at least come before God. As a child of God, I'm talking to children of God here. As a child of God, you need to say, I need to say, God, this is what I want to do. What do you think about that? My heart is wicked. 
I need some help with this. I might think what I'm doing is right, but I know my heart is wicked. I need to make sure it aligns with you because even the psalmist understood. He said, forgive me for the hidden sins that I'm not aware of. There's things inside of us that we might think our intentions are well, we might think we're doing right, but we need to go ahead and bring it before God so that he can align us with his will, so that he can let us know, hey, look, you got a hidden agenda there because he'll be honest with us. Sometimes we're not honest with ourselves. Our plans are irrelevant without prayer. You have to be prayerful about your plans. You have to be. You have to be intentional. Intentional about what? Why are you doing what you're doing? You have an intent. What's the intent? You have to ask yourself that question. Well, I got plans. I want to go to this football game. Okay, that's fine. Why are you going to the football game? There ain't nothing wrong with going to football games. But are you going to represent Christ? Are you going to share the gospel? Are you going to watch a football game and at least be representing Christ the right way in your posture, in your communication, in your conduct? Are you going to just watch the football game and kind of act like a heathen? Kind of act out of character from the way that you should be acting? Or kind of participate with conversations you shouldn't be participating with? In other words, not representing Christ well. You have to be intentional about everything you're doing. Don't think that because it's not church that it's not room for you to be a witness, a light into a dark world. Because it's needed now more than ever. I'm sure every pe preacher that's ever lived has always said that. Because times change and everybody always thinks that their times are the worst. I was listening to a message from like the 1960s on iTunes. Um, it's... Uh, Sermon audio, I think, is, is, is the uh, account, and it's free. Y'all can check it out. And the um, preacher was in the 60s or something like that, and he was saying, it's the end of the world, it's the end of the world. You know, a lot of preachers, they say that now. Nobody knows the day and time, but I'm sure a lot of preachers said, look, man, it's needed more now than ever. But in a way, they're all right. They're all right. Because the people you're growing up with, you're growing up with them how many times? One time. You're going to school with them one time. Yeah, multiple days, but you're going to be in high school for a period of time, and then your days in high school are gone. You had your chance to grow up with them. You know how many people I grew up with in high school that I never communicated the gospel with because I didn't get saved until I was like almost ready to graduate? All of them people, that, that was an opportunity for me, which obviously God is sovereign. He knew what he was doing in my life. But when I look back, I say, man, that was a good time for me to really communicate the gospel. This is a time for you guys that you will never get back, that high school time. Never get it back. So in a way, whenever someone says, you know what, it's needed not more now than ever, it's true, man, because you can capture people's attention now that you can't capture two years from now. That's just reality. So you have to be intentional about what you're doing, and it all has to be God-centered plans that are structured around the gospel and the gospel message. You're going to like this. What is the gospel? A good friend of mine told me about a site where I can get definitions from, Urban Dictionary. So I went to Urban Dictionary to check out what the gospel is. And I must say that I actually liked the definition of the gospel according to Urban Dictionary better than dictionary.com. In this case, there was actually three definitions. One of them, one of them using the sentence, they're like, yo, that's gospel. You know, talking about somebody who's speaking truth, it's like, oh, that's gospel. That, that's, y'all are crazy, man. But, the, the, the actual definition that I really enjoyed, and it was really right on point, is <coughs> gospel, a Greek word meaning good news. It is often used in the New Testament of the Christian Bible to refer to news of the Savior. This is from UrbanDictionary.com. Used in a sentence according to Urban Dictionary. Don't preach other false doctrines. Don't preach other false gospels. 
which say cows or aliens will redeem us, lest you be accursed. Cows and aliens ain't going to redeem you. The only thing that will redeem you would be the true gospel, not the false gospel. False gospel will be the cows and the aliens. True gospel, Jesus Christ, will redeem you from your sin. So that was used in a sentence. And the gospel according to the word of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. It's a little bit long, but it's important. <clears throat> moreover, moreover, brethren, this is Paul speaking to the, the church of Corinth. More other brethren, so he's talking to Christians. I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, and in which you stand. So they're hearing a gospel, they're receiving a gospel, and now they're standing firm on the gospel and representing it well. By which you are also saved. That gospel they heard, received, and represent is saving them. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. That Christ died for our sins. This is, this is the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he arose again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. It's the good news. The Greek word, good news. Died, buried, rose again. So let's go ahead and take you through what I'm going to give you guys. And the scripture references are there too. God is holy and demands holiness from his people. 1 Peter 1.16 God is holy. This is the first part of the gospel. This is a walkthrough. God is holy, and he demands holiness from his people. Sorry. <laughs> I got to get used to this thing. God is holy. That's why I put my hands here so I don't knock anything over. I'm so clumsy. God is holy and demands holiness from his people. We cannot obtain holiness apart from Jesus Christ. We cannot obtain holiness apart from the Holy Spirit. Our, sins, our hearts are wicked. That's what the Bible says. That's what dwells inside of us. Have you ever lied? Have you ever been deceitful? Have you ever said something or done something in a way so you can get your way, but it was kind of like, it was kind of cunning, if you will, to use a pretty word. But really, you knew what you were doing. You had a hidden agenda. That's deceitful. Have you ever thought about the opposite sex in a way that you shouldn't? Sexually immoral. Huge sin in the Bible. That's what our hearts are. Wicked. So how can we obtain this holiness? We can't. We can't obtain it. God is holy and he demands holiness from his people. So now, here you are, this individual, born in this sin, you got this sinful heart, you can't obtain this holiness, but your God wants holiness from you. Seems like you're stuck, right? Let us continue. But sin entered into the world through one man, Adam. We are by nature sinners, Romans 5.12. The result, there is no one on earth that is just and does not sin, Ecclesiastes 7.20. Apart from faith in Jesus Christ, we are slaves of sin, and we continually break God's law. Romans 6, 17. From living as slaves unto sin, we earn wages. That's right. Just from living life, we earn wages. Those wages are eternal death by sentencing from God's righteous judgment. Romans 6, 23. So now you have this individual who was born into sin because the first man sinned. It's all passed down. Everybody has a, a dad here, right? Everybody has a dad, a biological father. Okay, yeah, he gave you something called sin. He gave you a disease that's in, it's, it's in your soul. Okay, from one man to another man to another man to a woman to another man, whatever. As long as you came from a man, you are a sinner at heart, period. That's why Jesus wasn't a sinner, just in case you all didn't know, because his daddy was not a man. His daddy was God the Father. Even though his mother was a woman, she didn't deliver the seed. God delivered the seed. Because he loves us, he provided a way for us to be in relationship with him in spite of our sinful nature. 
Because he loves us, he provided a way for us to be in relationship with him in spite of our sinful nature. Romans 5, 8. Somebody read Romans 5, 8 for me. Bobby, you look like you want to read. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. This is a beautiful piece of scripture here, so I want to, I want to read it. For God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while uh, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. You guys understand what a sinner is? A sinner is an enemy of God. You have offended God in the worst kind of way. Not just you, me, every human being that walks the earth. Sinner, an enemy. The Bible says that sin is enmity with God. You're an enemy. We're enemies of God. But and while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's what the word of God says. Because why? Because he loves us. Jesus died for the sins of the world. 1 John 2, 2. He is the only way to the Father. John 14, 6. Receive him and believe in him and he will give you the right to become children of God. John 1, 12. That's the gospel. When we're making plans, we should go to God in prayer and ask him to keep his hand over all of our ideas and our endeavors. We can always evaluate our plans by contrasting them with the scriptures. That makes sense, right? Okay, I got these great plans. This is what I'm planning on doing. It's going to be like this. It's going to go like this. This is who's coming. Okay, now, align that with the scripture. How does it align with the scripture? Contrast it. Oh, well, the Bible says not to do this, and this is what's going to be there. Let me go ahead. No. These plans are not godly. It's easy for you to make that evaluation as long as you go to the word. If your plans go against any part of God's infallible word, then we must reevaluate those plans. Simple. We can also ask ourselves the simple question of how God will be glorified by these plans. How is God going to be glorified by the plans? Simple question again. Is anything I'm planning, does it go against scripture? Is anything that I'm planning, will it glorify God? Well, no, this ain't going to glorify God. As a matter of fact, this would be a bad representation of who God is. Okay, then your plans are not godly. That's simple. Or how will Jesus be the center of attention? Are you keeping it gospel-centered? Are you being intentional? Because you can be intentional about everything. Even your wedding is intentional. As long as it's in your mind and it's on your heart intentional. See, you, go, you get all crazy, you start planning all this junk. And it's not junk. I'm not trying to talk about it. Like, I, lo I, love, I, I loved my wedding. I, I wish I could get married again. I just went to a wedding last weekend. I just... I really enjoyed my wedding. But um, um, whenever you get married, it's, it's the union between a woman and a man before God. That's what the whole thing's about. It's not about the dress. It's not about the cake. It's not about the guests. It's not about the food. It's not about the tux. It ain't about none of that. It's not about the rings. It's about you and another individual of the opposite sex all that, all that craziness trying to change the union and what redefine a marriage, all that, that's, that's craziness. See, if these people were godly people, they would evaluate what they're trying to do. I'm trying to pass this amendment here. And the amendment says that we're going to redefine what marriage is. And it's no longer between a man and a woman. It is between a man and a man or a woman and a woman or a human being or a human being. If they were to do what? These are their plans, right? If they were to take these plans and say, how does this align with the word of God? Oh, well, the Bible condemns homosexuality. The Bible says that... One man and one woman should be united. One man and one woman is what the Bible describes marriage to be. Well, let me take a step back on these plans here because they don't align with Scripture. And what, what was the other one? 
see if it goes along with scripture. How is God going to be glorified? God condemns homosexuality. He's not going to be glorified at all through this amendment here. This amendment sucks. i got to throw it aside. If they would do that, but they're not godly people, so they're not going to do that. They're corrupt. we got to pray for them. But that's what the marriage is about. It's about the union of a man and a woman. To become united together in God before God. To take vows. To make a commitment to one another. To have and to hold. Better or worse. Richer for poor. You know, they're, they're making this commitment. And they're making it as a covenant before God. God is my witness. This is what I'm doing with this woman here. This is what I'm doing with this man here. And that's, that's just the way that it is. That's intentional. We can bring glory to Jesus in everything that we do as long as we are. Intentionally attempting to present the gospel, strategically presenting the gospel, and including the gospel. Let's go over those again. Intentionally attempting to present the gospel. Every plan that you have can glorify God if you are intentionally attempting to present the gospel. Ask yourself, how can I present the gospel with these plans here? Is it a matter of me communicating something vocally? Or is it a matter of me communicating something through my posture, the way I carry myself? Is it a matter of me making this thing missional and just turn it into a huge gospel party? How are you making your how are you intentionally attempting to present the gospel? And then ask yourself, strategically presenting the gospel. I was gonna do it like this, but you know what? That's not gonna draw the people to God the way that I wanted it to. So maybe I'll go ahead and change this detail here because it's going to be more of a focal point on Christ and people who are coming in they might they might think about Christ more because of this detail instead of this detail so I'm going to change the detail I'm strategically setting things up and whatever it might be in your plans to present the gospel to glorify God anything you do go, go I'm going to the shoe store okay God thank you for the money I'm going to go ahead and get prayer real quick y'all think I'm crazy I'm not crazy. I got money to go buy shoes. I'm going to go to the shoe store. I'm going to get in prayer first. I'm going to say, God, you need me to talk to somebody. There's people in that store that need to know you. There's customers that are going to be there that need to know you. So whenever I go there, direct my path. Guide me. Give me the words to say. Help me, Lord. I want to glorify you. I don't want to take advantage. I don't want to take for granted any moment that I have. I got a card I'm going to fill out. Um, so, um, going to the shoe store, you're, you're just honoring God, man. You're just saying, I'm a Christian. I love you, God. They need you. I love them. The Bible says that if you don't love the brethren, you don't love God. Period. If you're walking around every day only caring about you, got to check yourself. And including the gospel, I think I covered that. So here's the question. Do you think about God whenever you're making plans for the next day? Do you think about God when you're making your plans? That's what this whole message is about. That's what James has communicated to them. You're making these plans to be here, to make this profit there, yet... You're a vapor in the wind. Your time is going to be gone. You have to include God. You're a Christian. You know better. 
in chapter 5, which we'll get into, he talks, talks about the rich people, the ones who are saved, and he's talking to them like, he's talking, he's saying, look, man, if you guys continue to leave God out of your plans, you're going to end up getting greedy. You're just, you're just it's a snowball effect. Whenever you take God out of anything, you're flirting with trouble. You're flirting with trouble. Because you cannot be sold out to Christ. You cannot be a slave to righteousness and continue to live life according to your own plans, leaving God out of it all whenever your heart's wicked and there's no holiness inside of you apart from the Holy Spirit. Period. Makes sense, right? I hope. Maybe. Questions? Nothing? Nobody? All right. I want to um, give you guys these, these papers here, and I want you guys, I'm challenging you guys. You guys are going to do what you want to do. But I'm challenging you to take them, learn them, know them, preach them, pray over them. I think I got more people than what I expected. Um... No, 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 I'm going to get everybody one. I just got to go make some copies. Five, oh, you got one. 